from the Federal Judicial Center, I'm Beth Wiggins, Director of Research at the FJC, and this is Term Talk. In each 8 to 12 minute episode, we discuss what the lower courts may need to know about this term's decisions. Joining me today are Erwin Chemerinsky, Dean and Jesse H. Chober, Distinguished Professor of Law, University of California, Berkeley School of Law, and Tara Grove, Vincent and Elkins Chair in Law, University of Texas, Austin School of Law. Thank you both for being here today. Today we're discussing Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization. Dobbs involved a challenge to a Mississippi law that banned most abortions after 15 weeks. The court upheld that ban and held abortion was not a protected right under the Constitution, overruling Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey and returning abortion regulation back to the states. Erwin, can you please describe how this decision fits into the theory of substantive due process rights? I think the story has to start in the 1920s. Then the Supreme Court interpreted the liberty of the due process clause as protecting fundamental aspects of autonomy, even if they're not enumerated in the Constitution. Those cases said that the Constitution protects the right of parents to control the upbringing of their children. Subsequently, the Supreme Court said in 1965 in Griswold versus Connecticut, that the Constitution protects the right to privacy. That includes the right to purchase and use contraceptives. In 1967, in Loving versus Virginia, the court said that the liberty of the due process clause protects the right to marry. The court extended this, of course, in 2015 in Obergefell versus Hodges say that includes the right to marriage equality for gays and lesbians. In 1973, in Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court said that the privacy protected under the Liberty Due Process Clause safeguards the right of a woman to choose whether have an abortion up to the point of viability when the fetus can survive outside the womb. In 1992, in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the Supreme Court said it was reaffirming the essential holding of Roe versus Wade, that states could not prohibit abortions prior to viability. In Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health, the Supreme Court expressly overruled Roe and Casey. The majority opinion by Justice Samuel Alito said that abortion no longer should be regarded as a right under the Constitution, that the issue of abortion is left to the political process. States can decide for themselves whether to allow or prohibit all or virtually all abortions. But it's most important for the lower courts, the Supreme Court said, that only the rational basis test to be used in evaluating government regulation of abortion. Every presumption is being in favor of the law. The law is to be struck down only if it's deemed to be not rationally related to a legitimate government purpose. So Tara, how did the majority analyze the issue? So to figure out if a right is protected under the liberty prong of the due process clause, the Supreme Court had looked at, in the past, either whether it seemed fundamental to a scheme of ordered liberty or was deeply rooted in the nation's history and traditions. And the court here focused very much on that latter test and said that a, a right could be protected under the due process clause only if it is deeply rooted. And the majority here found that the right to terminate a pregnancy is not deeply rooted in this nation's history and traditions. So there's certainly nothing about abortion in the text. And if you go back in history, and the court went all the way back to the 13th century, there are regulations of abortion throughout that time, often after quickening, that is after the fetus is kicking inside the womb. But 
in general, the court said there's just simply no evidence of a history to support the right to terminate a pregnancy. And the court found this history to be sufficient, not only to say that Roe was Roe and Casey were wrong as originally decided, but that that history and tradition the court found was sufficient to overcome the pull of stare decisis. So Erwin, um, can you talk a little bit more about how they analyzed the issue of stare decisis and were able, and came to the conclusion that they, the precedent should be overturned? As Tara pointed out, there's a great deal of focus on history. Well, Roe versus Wade was 49 years ago. So a central issue is stare decisis. Justice Alito's majority opinion said that Roe versus Wade was, quote, egregiously wrong and, quote, exceedingly poorly reasoned. The court said that in deciding whether to overrule precedent, it should look at factors like the workability of the prior decision, the impact on other laws of the prior decision, the reliance that there'd been on the precedent, the political considerations. Based on all of these, the court concluded that it was appropriate to overrule Roe versus Wade and to leave the issue of abortion to the political process. So Tara, there were three concurrences, um, Chief Justice Roberts, and then one by Justice Kavanaugh and another by Justice Thomas. What points did they add to the discussion? So Chief Justice Roberts' concurrence is probably the least important going forward. The Chief Justice wanted, wanted the court to decide the case in a much narrower way, to say that we're no longer going to focus on the viability lines, the critical line, and to uphold Mississippi's restriction after 15 weeks of pregnancy. That's clearly not what the court did, and so I think that that will simply be put in the annals of history as the way the Chief Justice would have preferred to narrowly decide this case. The other two concurrences are much more important going forward. Justice Kavanaugh, in a brief part of his concurrence, flagged an issue that's going to be very important for states and lower courts going forward. The question is, can a state that prohibits abortion also prohibit a woman from going to another state to obtain that abortion? Can, for example, Texas stop someone from going to New York to obtain the abortion? Justice Kavanaugh very briefly said, uh, no, Texas could not do that. Uh, that would violate the right to travel. But it's interesting, There was this issue did not actually come up in the briefs or argument in Dobbs. And so there was nothing before the court on the issue. And so it'll be interesting to see what the court does with this issue going forward. Justice Kavanaugh, for his part, has at least staked out his position, and we'll see what the rest of the court does. Justice Thomas's concurrence is probably the most interesting. And Justice Thomas said the court was correct to overturn Roe versus Wade and Casey, but it should go much, much further. The court should get rid of its substantive due process jurisprudence entirely. Justice Thomas said that the liberty prong of the substantive due process clause simply is not a source of substantive, substantive rights. In fact, there is no substantive due process clause. It is simply the due process clause that protects procedure. To the extent the 14th Amendment protects substantive rights, it does so under the Privileges or Immunities Clause. And Justice Thomas says that is how the Bill of Rights, the specific enumerated rights, apply to the states, like the First Amendment Free Speech Clause, or the Second Amendment. But he says we have to figure out if any unenumerated rights limit the states at all. And it's not clear that Justice, Justice Thomas would say that they do. 
Either way, if the court goes in the direction that Justice Thomas is suggesting and just gets rid of its due process jurisprudence, everything would need to be revisited. And Justice Thomas interestingly mentioned specifically Griswold, which involved the right to contraception, as well as Obergefell, which involved the right to same-sex marriage. And so that raises lots of questions as to where those rights will head going forward. So Arwen, what do Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan argue in their dissent? They, as we'd expect, wrote a vehement dissent. It's unusual that it was a joint dissent of the three justices. They defended Roe versus Wade and said that the liberty of the due process clause should protect the right of a woman to choose whether to terminate a pregnancy. They focused a great deal on stare decisis. They talked about how rare it is for the Supreme Court to ever take away a constitutional right. They accused the majority of misreading history. They defended the idea of a living constitution. Was most important, they talked about the impact of overruling Roe on women's lives. The dissent said the practical result will be that some states will allow abortion and some will prohibit all abortions. They said in the states where abortion is illegal, women with resources will be able to travel to places where abortion is allowed. But they said that it's poor women, teenagers, who will again face the cruel choice to an unwanted child and an unsafe back alley abortion. So, Erwin, um, what issues do you think the lower courts are going to begin to see? I think it's important for us all to recognize that this doesn't end the issue of abortion in the political process in the courts. Quite the contrary. I think we've already begun to see a tremendous flurry of activity in the states is they have laws regulating abortion. And these laws are now going to be construed in the judiciary. Just to mention a few examples, must there be an exception to the law for the life of the woman? Does the Constitution require an exception for the health of the woman? How is that to be determined, whether an abortion is necessary for the life or health of the woman? What about contraceptives that are thought to act after conception? Like some believe the morning after pill, and the IUD Act, can states prohibit those? What about states that are going to regulate in vitro fertilization, such as requiring that all embryos be implanted? To what extent can states ban the importation of drugs that would end pregnancy? I've just mentioned a few examples of many that are going to come up, which courts are going to have to decide in applying Dobbs. Tara, are there things you would add to that list? So just to get back to the issue Justice Kavanaugh flagged in his concurrence, can a state like the state of Texas prohibit a woman from going to another state to obtain an abortion? Uh, Justice Kavanaugh said no, that would violate the right to travel. I think it's a far less clear issue. Um, and I just want to flag this depends tremendously on how one conceives of the unborn child. Is this unborn child a person? If so, then I think it becomes much more complicated because it would be considered homicide if someone went to another state and terminated a pregnancy, at least if the, the fetus is deemed a person. And so I think it's, it's going to be very unclear whether the right to travel would protect a woman's right to do something that a state like Texas might consider to be homicide. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what the court does going forward with this issue. And I think it's going to be a very tough issue for the lower federal courts. There are also going to be interesting questions about preemption, the relationship between federal law and state law. 
So there's a federal statute called the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act that requires hospitals to provide emergency services. And in states that either don't have protections for the life or the health of the mother, that is exceptions for those scenarios, or have very limited exceptions for the life or the health of the mother, will that prevent some women from obtaining emergency treatment? And an important thing to keep in mind is that this will impact not only women who seek to terminate a pregnancy, but also women who seek to, t to carry a pregnancy to term but have some complications that go along with that, and can they seek emergency care? All of this is gonna be very, very complicated. The F Food and Drug Administration has authorized the use of medications for uh, a medical abortion, things like mifepristone. And the question there is going to be, do the FDA's regulations allowing people to obtain medical abortions preempt state laws that either prohibit or make it very difficult for a woman to obtain a medical abortion in her state? Are those state laws preempted? And one thing to flag is that the U.S. Supreme Court in recent years has not been friendly to federal regulatory powers. The other thing I will flag is to the extent we are looking to FDA regulations, those regulations are likely to fluctuate depending on who controls the presidency. And that means that the FDA either allowing or disallowing these medication abortion pills is going to change dramatically over time. Well, there are obviously many issues that we're going to have to watch carefully over the next years. Um, and I thank you both for, again, for being here today to explain this really important decision. And I look forward to talking with you more about its possible impacts. Thank you. Thank you.